um, let's take a look at Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we've been doing a verse-by-verse study, something we've never done before as a, as a church collectively. Uh, and as well, it's uh, something that uh, I've been doing just at home uh, through uh, Matt Chandler and the Village Church uh, on their podcast online. So if, you're, if there's things here that you're learning and interested in, you can go and find those as well. Just go to iTunes and check out Matt Chandler. You can uh, learn some different things there. Some of the thoughts come from there, but most of the things that just uh, feel God speaking in my heart for, for this church. And want to encourage you with that. So the last couple of um, weeks we've been talking about uh, uh, just being adopted, what it means to be a child of God, and what that meant for us. Uh, what, it, what it means is that we can have relationship with God. Last week we talked about that. Do you know God? And does, does God know you? Because there's a difference in those two things. And we talked about the things of not celebrating spirituality, but celebrating Him. Not, not all the things that surround it, but, but just God himself. And that Jesus never came to start a religion. He, he did not plan to have Christianity. That's not why he came. He came to restore a relationship with the Father. So if we are doing anything but that, we're missing out on what he gave his life for. He wants you to have relationship, that connection with God, individual to individual. Him speaking to you, you talking to him, sharing your heart with him, living your life in relationship uh, with Holy Spirit. We, we've often talked about how as Christians, there can be the times where you still feel empty inside. It's like you, you know, you're, you know you're, you're a follower of Christ. You know you believe in Jesus. And yet there's this, some, there's this emptiness. There's this hollowness to what you're doing. You go to church on Sundays and it just doesn't feel like it's enough. Uh, that, that hollowness is there for a reason. It, it's there because it's, it's a longing to be connected in relationship with, with God through Holy Spirit. That's why when we pray, Holy Spirit, come fill us. That's what we're asking for, is that that relationship would continue to, to grow and be strengthened. It's like marriage. When you get married, you know, you're officially married from the day that you say, I do, and sign the papers. But if you don't talk to your spouse, you know, if you don't spend time together, if you're not going on dates and having dinner and, and hanging out and having intimate moments, your marriage is pretty hollow, and it doesn't last very long. And there's, there's, we're built that way for this craving for relationship. And you know what, what happens if it's not happening in your marriage? And that's why we encourage you to sow into your marriage is because the craving will, dra- will drag you to other places. It's, it's the, when that emptiness is there, it will drag you to other places. Even just heard today again of another uh, marriage just breaking down because of that, that craving for not, not being there, not spending or investing in relationship. It draws you away. And Paul said the same thing with the Galatian church, and he was realizing that without the relationship in Christ or the understanding of that, they're getting drawn away to something else, and it was, it was scary for him. So that's what we've been looking at uh, over the past uh, chunk of time. A quick review from last week. Paul, we ended with the verse in 20. He says, I wish I could change my tone with you guys. He says, he said it felt like he was in labor, and we talked about that. When you're in labor, you only got one thing on your mind. Get that baby out. You know, that, 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 that's it. Nothing else. And Paul said the same thing. I feel like I'm in labor. And this thought that I just can't get away from is I want to see Christ formed in you. I want to see you look like Christ. That's, that's the, main, the main focus that, that he had. And um, he, he said, you know, I wish I could change my tone, but I just feel like I can't. Because I, I want you to understand how important this is. And as we read this, you know, it's a, a words on a page or words on a page. But the, 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 he's mentioning it right there that, hey, there's some tone in these words. When you read them, don't just read them as, as just words. There's some strength that's coming uh, with them. And, and he, says, he says, I want you to see you become like Christ. You know, you become like those you hang around with. I uh, was doing some leadership studies and, uh, as well. And, and they, you, there's just new studies that are coming out that said if there's five... Um, five uh, people that you hang around with, the closest five friends you have, you will become the average of those people. So who are your closest five friends, if you think about it right now? 
because you are becoming like them. They talk about how you can, knowing that, find, you know, five people and get yourself connected with, with good relationships around you. And the Bible talks about it too. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verse uh, 33, it just talks about how um, bad company corrupts good habits. You know, not the other way around. If you're, if you're a believer in Christ and you're hanging out with all kinds of people that are a negative influence on you, and there's the, that's greater than, than the people who are passionate about God in your life, it's going to wear on you. But in the same token, those who are passionate about God and you decide to hang out with them, it's going to rub off on you. It, it will. And, and the thing is that we get to choose between those things. We get to choose if we're going to uh, hang out with people that are going to inspire and challenge and encourage us, or we can choose to hang out with, with those who... Um, who don't, and it will affect you both ways. The Bible says that, you know, if you want to become wise, walk with wise people. If you're thinking, man, you know, I just don't know how to do this whole parenting thing, go find somebody who's done it for 20 years and ask them a few questions. They know. Here I thought, you know, I, I, like I said before, I thought I'd be the best parent when I was uh, 24 and had no kids. I was the best parent. Uh, I knew exactly how kids work, and, and now I'm just like, oh, dear Lord, you know, uh, I woke up again. Oh, man, and, and it's this morning. 4.11 a.m. this morning, I wake up to hear this sound. Twinkle, twinkle, na, 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 R. Yeah, that's all the words Max knows. I'm like, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, you know? It's like, oh, how do you get this kid to sleep through the night? I'll be asking some of you. If you know, please let me know. It's uh, those kind of, oh, a Dimatap nap, right. Cool. Um, some interesting thoughts as we're looking at Galatians uh, is realizing that, that um, this letter, it was actually the very first book of the New Testament that was written. You know, when we read it, we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, uh, all uh, First and Second Corinthians are all before it in, the, in, the, in the, our Bibles, but they weren't written first. This was the first thing that was written, which means that the first New Testament stuff that the Galatian church ever heard was the letter written to them. Meaning that all they had was the Old Testament before that. And so that when Paul's writing this to them, all they had was Old Testament writing. So when they follow Jesus, and then Paul never thought that the Judaizers would follow him. He, that wasn't his plan. When he went out and started a church, his plan wasn't that, oh, these guys from, from Jerusalem are going to come and they're going to mess everything up. But they did. And so when he's writing this to them, he says, hey, guys, pay attention to what's going on. And, and the Judaizers, they, they would basically go into the church and say, hey, you know, Paul preached Jesus, which is good. But what that means is Jesus was a Jew, so now you should become a Jew. And now take the Old Testament and apply it literally to your life because now you're a Jew. So that means Ten Commandments, got to follow them. The uh, dietary laws, got to follow them. Circumcision, yep, that's for you too. You know, and so this is where this whole thought, and so they, they thought, hey, we're doing the next step and Paul says in this last chunk where he just finishes off two chapters of thought, he uh, says, hey, you know what? God was no longer even dealing with the Jews that way. That was an old covenant that they, that they were under, but God's desire was that the Jewish people would recognize Jesus. The whole reason he wrote the whole Old Testament is all of those stories point to Jesus coming, point to a Messiah. And they, even though they knew those scriptures, did not recognize Jesus when he came. And they were still living under this old covenant. And the message wasn't just to the Galatians. It was to the Judaizers as well. And I believe that the, the, the heart of the message is to us today. You are free. Free to enjoy relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, free to enjoy relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. We're going to finish uh, Galatians chapter 4. We'll get to Galatians chapter 5 as well today. It's uh, pretty exciting. Don't worry, we're not doing it all. Galatians chapter 4. Uh, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? 
You who want to live under the law, do you know what it actually says? Paul, and the, today's message is called, have you read the fine print? Have you read the fine print? Paul is asking this them. You remember in, in chapter 3 at the very beginning, he's like, you fools, you idiots. Who put a hex on you? Right? He's asking them, who did something to you? Did somebody put like a spell on you guys? Uh, but now he's asking them a different question. Now he's asking them, hey, how, what? Oh, you're showing them already? Okay, cool. There's, uh, and anyways, hold on. Oh, well, never mind. It's up. Reading the fine print. Reading the fine print matters. I'm all confused now. But, yeah, Gouda, Gouda type. So, it's fine. Paul, uh, Paul is saying to them, he's like, hey, did you guys, did you guys do something here? What, did you guys miss the fine print? Do you even know what you actually believe in? Uh, this week I called up Bell because uh, for three years we've been with Bell and we're about to uh, change to another, another uh, uh, company or whatever. And so I'm, I'm reading, I look on their, on their webpage and I see that you can get these plans. This plan that, that I've been paying like $140 for now is $75. And they said, you can change and you can share any plan. I'm like, that's exciting. You know, that's, that's good. So yeah, I know. Good news for all of you who are doing that too. So then I, I, I look at it and it says you can order all these plans just by clicking your mouse and, and then you're, you're good. But as I, as I look at this one, there's like a share plan, you know, unlimited minutes and un, uh, a whole gig of data, and you can share that with anyone else. I was like, that's awesome. And it's 75 bucks. I couldn't believe it. So I call them up because it says you have to call for this. So I call. No answer. That, it's the first time I've ever called, and they're like, yeah, we're too busy right now. Please try again later. I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. I guess this is such a good deal. Everybody wants it. So I, uh, then I went on, and you can do the chat with them on the, on the internet. So I'm chatting away, and I'm like asking them this, and they're like, yes, 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 yes. I'm like, sign me up. This is, I'm going to save like a lot of money, you know, just uh, every single month. So I said, okay, so it's two phones for 75 bucks. I'm like, oh, no, no, that's each. Both phones have to have the same plan. I'm like, the website says share a plan. And, and, and how do you share something if you both have to have it? That doesn't make any sense at all. And so they're like, well, no, that's why it says contact us, because we want to make sure you understand the fine print of what uh, this deal actually is. I'm like, this deal is going to cost me more money, you know, the, to do it this way. I'm like, how ridiculous. That, that cannot make That's just not possible. And, you know, if you're going to say, hey, I give you a pie and you can share it with somebody, I don't mean I give you a pie and you a pie and now you have to share the pie. Like, that's not what that, that implies. So I go into the Bell store and I talk to a real person and they tell me, no, no, you got to check out the fine print because it actually says that you, you can't share anything. I'm like, this is crazy. You know, that, that, that's why I'm going to Rogers. You know, I, I don't care. Uh, it, it, it's over. But, but there's this whole thought of you think you know something until you get to the fine print and it can change everything. And Paul's saying the same thing here. That's why I had those pictures up there. You think you're getting something, but the fine print tells you something different. And Paul's asking him, hey, you guys who want to be under the law, do you even know what it says? Have you even read the fine print of what it actually is talking about? And it's a great question for us. Because you who want to be a follower of Christ, do you know what that means? Have you read the fine print of what it means to be a follower of Christ? Do you understand that? Because, you know, there's this term that we use very, very uh, freely. It's the word Christian. We use the word Christian. It's on it's, uh, it's in our name, Kingsway Christian Church. I almost want to change it if we're allowed to. Because I'd rather say that Kingsway Christian Church is like the Kingsway house where the family of God hangs out. Because Christian, you know, Christian is, the, the, that term means so much to so many different people. I've been meeting with a, an atheist. He's becoming a friend of mine. Uh, he doesn't know it yet, but uh, it's, been, it's, been, it's been pretty cool that we uh, been, have been hanging out. But he challenges me on thoughts that, you know, I've never, 
you don't see it when you talk to other Christians. He's like, yeah, you know what, Christian? He's like, he says there's so much evil that Christianity has done. And he lists off all the things that have been done in the name of Christianity. I'm like, but yeah, but that's not like Christ. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. That's what Christian is. And I thought, you know what, how many of us don't really understand what Christian is? We might think we're a Christian, but are we a follower of Christ? Because it's two very different things. So when you think, hey, I want to be a follower of Christ, have you read the fine print? Do you know what that means for you? And, and in talking to him, I've been challenged to take a good look at what does that really mean for me? Galatians chapter 4, verse uh, 22 to 24, Paul begins to say, hey, those of you who want to be under the law, do you know what it says? So then he begins to tell him because, you know, he's being kind of facetious. He's like, I know you guys don't really know what it says. So I'm going to tell you. He says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment to his promise. And these two women serve as an illustration. Just remember that word, illustration of God's two covenants. Uh, and then we'll pick up again in a bit. He says, um, he, 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 uh, he begins to tell them the story that's actually in the law. Because we think, oh, law, Ten Commandments. Because we've got chapters and verses. We know it's in Exodus 20. We got that kind of all figured out. Back then, it was just one big book. First uh, five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were just one big book. That was called the law. And he says, hey, do you realize that when you want to be under that, this is what's in it. And so he begins to tell them the story. And the word he uses, it's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. The word illustration is actually the word allegory. And you think, well, who cares, you know? Like, so what's the big deal of it being an allegory? Uh, because the thing is, it's important to notice, is that it's the only time that's ever said that, hey, this is an allegory. So Paul makes a point to say, I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going uh, to tell, tell this story as an allegory. But uh, for those of you who don't know what an allegory is, it's a, it's a poem, it's a story, it's a picture that, that has a hidden meaning. So it's not, what you see is not what you get. It's got something underlying in it. Usually it's political or, or moral. So anybody read the book Pilgrim's Progress? It's, a, it's an allegory. It's a story that, that, that uh, parallels a spiritual journey. Anybody seen the Chronicles of Narnia from the younger generation? You know, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, and, and, and all those things. They're not really about a lion, a witch, and a wardrobe. They're all about spiritual things. And so they're, they're uh, carefully crafted into that story. And Jesus would do it all the time. He would make up stories, and he'd talk about, oh, you know, this, this person was a farmer, and he did this, and he built these barns. It wasn't a true story, but it was a fictional story to, to explain to them something that, that was a heavenly principle. So he did it all the time, but he always made up the, the, the stories himself. The, the thing that Paul's saying is what I'm going to tell you, it has a spiritual uh, and heavenly understanding, but it's from a factual story. And that's why it's so important that we understand that he's not saying, hey, this story that I'm going to tell you about, that's in the law, it's an allegory. It's just a story because it was written so that I could tell it to you. He's not saying that. He's saying this is a factual story. This really happened, but it applies to you because you're looking at it from the law. And it's the only time that it happens uh, when Paul writes about it. And so he says that the, 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 the Old Testament, it's a literal story. It's historical. And you say, why does that matter? I didn't know why it mattered too much either until uh, my little conversation with my atheist friend. He wants, to, um, he wants to make you believe that every one of those stories is fairy tale. They're just not possible. Jonah and a whale? 
You know, that, 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 that's not possible. That's just a nice fairy tale. It's for a better meaning, right? So uh, I remember when we were telling the story, and uh, I was talking about Jonah and the whale, and all of a sudden later on I get a text. The text says, hey, a whale has a four-inch esophagus. Checkmate. You know, I'm like, checkmate? What do you mean? You know, like, as if, as if that's the only way, possible way it could have happened is that a whale. Well, he, he, you know, there's, um, there's many, many different ways to, to explain what happened uh, there. But he's saying all these things are, are true. And so as I begin to do research and say, hey, you know what, okay, four-inch esophagus, let's start looking through these things. Because what they want to try and do is make sure that if they can, if they can say it's all just stories, if it's all just fairy tales, then, then the, the, the creation of the world, fairy tale. The, the whole idea of God creating man, fairy tale. The whole idea of, of Jesus ever having to come, it's all fairy tales. It's all just stories. It, it wasn't necessary. And you think, oh, that, that's, you know, how, how does that affect us? You know, if we don't believe that those stories were actually true and historical, we can get ourselves so messed up. So this week I've been spending doing lots of research because not that I don't believe that the stories are true. I want to be able to share with my, with my friend how I, I know that, that the stories that are in the Bible are much easier to believe than what he would say. He would say it's much easier to believe that evolution is true, you know, as a rational thinker. But I'm, as the more I study, I realize this. And so Beth, it drives her nuts. The other night I'm sitting in bed. I got my iPad and I'm, I'm reading. It's almost midnight. And she wakes up. She's like, man, I've been sleeping for two hours already. You're still reading all that, that atheist and evolution stuff? I'm like, like, man, it's all right. Just go back to sleep. She's like, you do know that if you turn into an atheist or an evolutionist, you're going to lose your job. And I was like, <laughs> I was like thanks, hon. I, you don't care about my salvation. Just a paycheck. All right. Well, uh, I was like, realizing I said, that's not why I'm reading this stuff. But I'm, I, I, the more that I study, the more that, the deeper that I get into uh, evolution and all these things, I realize it is so much easier to believe that all this stuff is true, that Jonah really swallowed by a, a whale, true, that Noah and the ark, really happened. Global flood, true. Six days of creation, true. It gets so messed up when you don't realize that. And that's what Paul is saying to the Galatian church here. Don't think that all this stuff is just all of its allegory, but he says this one is. And I'm going to tell you a true story about a guy named Abraham. This guy the story of Abraham uh, starts in Genesis 12. It ends uh, way later, a uh, bunch of chapters. Genesis 12 to 21 are the chapters I want to kind of take a quick look at today. We're not going to read them because that wouldn't be a quick look. But it says that God promised a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I'm going to give all of this land to your descendants. Abram's 75 years old, no kids. So he says, God, God promises, I'm going to give this to your descendants. And it's, it's, uh, it's just, hey, he, he doesn't have, have any kids at all. His wife is 65, all right? So uh, he decides that he's going to go live in Egypt for a while, and he goes to Egypt. He tells his wife, he says, hey, just pretend you're my sister. And she's like, what? Why? He said, because you're so good looking, that, that king. Oh, I'm 65. I mean, he's worried because she's so good looking. It's like she, that king's going to try and scoop you up. And he's going to kill me if he finds out I'm your husband. So she's like, oh, okay, I'm your sister. And sure enough, the king scoops up a 65-year-old woman, thinks she's like some hot granny, and says, come on, you know what? You're going to be, uh, you're going to be my wife. And God comes to this king in a dream. And you didn't know this in the Bible, did you? But God comes to him in a dream and says, hey, listen, this is somebody's wife. You better give him back uh, his wife and give him stuff too. So the king's like, how come you never told me? So he gives uh, Sarah back, and he gives him a ton of stuff. And he says, take off, get out of here. So Abram and Sarah, they leave Egypt, but now they're incredibly wealthy. This guy gave them so much uh, stuff. And as they're walking out from there, they go with Lot, their nephew, and they go to this, they're, they're, go, they're so wealthy that they can't even live in, you know, their two communities cannot live together. So he says, hey, you pick one side, and I'll go the other. 
So Lot looks one way and says, wow, look at that. That's really good, uh, that's really good looking land over there. I'm going to go move over there. And Abram says, okay, fine. I'll take the desert over here. But as he's walking through the desert, he says this to him. He says, Abram, as you're walking, just look, look left, look right, look straight ahead, look back. He says, I'm giving all that land to your descendants. Genesis chapter 13. And it says, your descendants, he's gonna, they're going to be like the dust of the earth. Abram's over 75, no kids, going to have, you know, more more, uh, he's like, God's saying, you're going to have a family bigger than the Duggars. You just don't know it yet. And he's like, look at, look at this dust. You won't be able to count the kids. And it says that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, he tells him again. He says, hey, Abram, take a look out at the stars. He says, your descendants, your descendants are going to be like the stars. It's like, okay, God, you've told me this three times. I still don't have any kids. And Sarah was now, it says in Genesis 16, she was 75 years old. She's like, man, this, this, isn't, this isn't happening. Like, we've been trying for 10 years. I'm not getting pregnant. This is just not working. And so she's like, okay, Abram, I got this plan. I will give you an early Christmas present. Her name is Hagar. She will be, you know, you can try and have a kid with her, and that'll be our heir. And so Abram's like, well, okay, honey, but only because you said so, you know. So um, he, he goes, and he has a child with Hagar, and she gets pregnant. And then all of a sudden, everything starts going wrong. And, and it's, it's like... That decision that was made back then, you think about decisions that have lifelong consequences, that, 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 the, the consequences of that decision are still in effect today. The, uh, the, Abram's the father of two great nations. He's the father of all the Jewish people, but he's also the father of all of the uh, Arabic people. And it says that, it talks about Ishmael, says this guy's going to be a fighter. He's going to have, everybody's going to be against him, but he's going to be against everybody. He's going to have this militant spirit, militant heart. And uh, it says that's still the same today. You see that uh, through the, um, the religion of Islam. You see so much of that, that, that fiery uh, heart is still there. And I'd like to say this, that back in the day, God dealt with nations. Today, I believe he deals with individuals. That, the, that a person uh, who's in Islam or Muslim, they can be saved today because God deals with people. It's not saying just because they, they're of that nationality or race. We've learned that. There is no race or nationality with Christ. But he's saying this, this thing happened when men tried to accelerate the promise of God. And it happens in our lives too. Sometimes there's promises of God that are in our lives that we try and make them happen on our own. We try and speed up the process, and it, it, it does not work. Fourteen years later, we're in Genesis chapter 18. So now it's been 24 years, and God says to him, Abram, I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. He's like, yeah, God, I heard this before. And he says, you know what? Um, I'm also going to create a covenant with you now as a, as a, as a deal of that this is going to happen. And he says, that Abram is now 99 years old. And he says, okay, God, when is this going to happen? And God sends him another messenger and says, okay, it's going to happen next year. Next year. And, and Sarah says she laughs. She overhears it. And she's like, next year it's going to be. And she starts laughing. She's, she's 89 years old. You know, she knows. And so she starts laughing. She's like, yeah, sure, Abraham, sure. You know, we've been trying for 24 years. You know, like it, it ain't happening. He's, he's like, you know he's coming. He's going to be ready to go and say, let's, let's keep trying because we know. And it says that God visits her. God visits her. She becomes pregnant at 89 years old. What's impossible for men, possible for God. And he says that this, this child was the child of promise. This was Isaac. And so Isaac and Ishmael, they start fighting with each other. In verse uh, chapter 21, it, it shows that already that, that conflict is there. And Abram says, you know what, Hagar, you got to leave. You got to go. You got to take. And it's a sad, sad breakup of family that happened because of decisions that were made. But you look at it, and, 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 and Paul says, here's the story. This is the, the actual story of what you read, but he says, don't you realize, can you not see yourself in there? 
to the Galatian church. He says, don't you see you? He says, this story relates to you. It's not, it, it's a great story, but it also relates to what we're talking about right here, right now. And he says in verse 24, the first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia. Notice that word. He says, Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She's the free woman. She's our mother. You know, this would have ticked off the Judaizers back then. They're, they're hearing this. They're reading this because they would have been part of this, this whole uh, churches of, of Galatia. They're there, and it says, you know, they would have considered Abraham as their father, but they would have considered Sarah to be their mother. They considered that they were children of Abraham through Sarah. That's how the birth happened. But he said God's plan was way bigger than that. He says you guys are actually the children of Hagar, the people that they hate. Here Paul is saying you are, you know, you're, you're from the wrong side of the tracks if you still want to follow the law. That old covenant was done. It represents something much better than that. And the sons of slavery are the ones who are still following that. Sons of Hagar. And he says, don't you realize, in this whole chapter, he says, don't you realize that everything I've told you in chapter 3 and all the way up to chapter 4, you can even see it in the law. Don't you realize that if you, this thing that you want to be a part of, if you read it, it tells you itself that it can't save you. It says it's clear as day that it can't even do for you what you think it can. And so he says to them in verse 27, he says, as Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you've never given, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, he's back to Mr. Nice Guy. You, dear brothers and sisters, you're children of the promise. He reminds them of who they are. He says, you are children of the promise, just like Isaac, but you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? It says, get rid of the um, slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance of the free woman's son. What's Paul trying to tell them? He says, I want you to see a couple quick things. And you know what? What he's saying to them is what he's saying to us. Because as the New Testament church, that's the Galatian churches, but that's also us. He says that the law is not freedom, and the law does not bring salvation. Neither one of those two things is actually happening. It says the Judaizers, he says, the people who want you to live by law and live by rules, he says, those people, they're not free. He says, they're actually persecuting you. You think they're coming there to help you with the next step in your walk with Jesus. He says, but they're actually persecuting you. He says, I want to just open your eyes to show you what's actually happening. They're not there to help you take the next step. They're actually uh, there because misery loves company. They're they're not free, and they want you to be a part of their non-freedom, part of their bondage. And Paul knew that those you hang around with, you become like. That's why he's so passionate about having relationship with God, because if you hang out with God, you will become like him. Not the other way around. Not trying to do all the things, do all the rules, do all those things to follow it, to become like God. He says that that's not the way it is. Just spend time with him. Just hang out with him. Just be with Christ, and you will become like Christ. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same reason why teenagers leave churches in droves. Because they get to a place in their life where they've, they've learned all the rules, and they miss the relationship. It works with parenting. If you've got rules and rules and rules in your house and no relationship, real genuine relationship with your kids, they're going to rebel. They're going to buck against that. Same thing happens here. And he says that, that the, the same thing, and I don't want to see that with our church. I want to see that the, that the heart of, of who we are is that people in relationship with Jesus Christ. 
that we encourage that in others. And it says, what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? Paul knew if they continued to hang out with the Judaizers, they would be again lost to the power of the law. He says, the scriptures say, get rid of the Judaizers. Get them out of your churches. They don't belong there. The ones who keep telling you it's about law. He says, you are not them. That's not who you are. You are free. Remember that you're free. And it's with emphasis he ends these, this whole section by uh, uh, first, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. You know, there, is no, there was no chapters and verses. This continued thought, he says, so Christ has truly set you free. Christ has truly set you free. You're already free. This whole thing of living by the law does not make you free. And it says, now make sure you stay free. Don't get, don't get tied up again. It's almost like, I, I, as I pictured, I pictured William Wallace, you know, on the, on, the, uh, on the field before all the Scotsmen, just with passion in his voice saying, you are free men. Yeah, but we're here to fight. He says, you're already free men. And the same thought here is, you're already free. So live in freedom. You already are free from the sin. You're already free from the bondage. You're already free from trying to please God. So live in that freedom. It's not like, it's not like you're in a prison cell where, where God comes and just kind of unlocks the door and says, okay, you know what, you can come out any time. And you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, I, I, I do want to come out. But boy, you know, it's, it's really tough to try and get all the way across this cell. It's really tough to get past all the dirtiness in this place. It's really tough to try and get to that door. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try and get there. I, I really want to be free from this sin. And as you walk across, you stumble across all your dirty laundry that you left across your, you know, your, your cell. And it's like, oh, you fall. Like, oh yeah, I knew it. I knew it wasn't really true. And you sit back there. And we think that that's how God's sense of freedom works for us. I want to challenge you. If you're struggling with things in your life, you're struggling with things, and you say, I, I want that freedom. I want to be able to know Christ. I want, and, and you feel like you're in that place of trying to earn it. The, 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 the actual truth is that God came. He broke down the whole cell. He took you out of that place. He's doing it all for you. He carried you on his back across all your crap, brought you to a place where it was just freedom, and says, okay, stand here, and now look at it. You're already free from that. So even though you feel like I'm still pretty close to it, you're free. You are not in it anymore. Meaning you can just worship God passionately because of what he's done. You can uh, have relationship with God because of what he's done. He says, don't ever, don't ever go back to it. So rather than looking at yourself and saying, I'm stuck, I'm handcuffed, I'm stuck in my jail cell and I can't get out, realize you're already out. Why would you walk back to it? I'll tell you something. It's like a stronghold in the mind that says that you're not free. And that's what keeps you bound. I know from personal experience that, that what's happened in my life is as I've realized that I already am free, the stronghold is broken up here, and I live in freedom. Absolutely incredible freedom, and there's nothing better than that. Paul's saying that to them. You've been set free just to be free. That's why Christ came to set you free, is so that you could be free. That, that's why he did it. Not for any other reason, but just so you could live in it. It's what he gave his life for this morning. It's what he, he's calling on us and pleading with us to say that we would live our lives in that freedom, taking full advantage of the chance to have a relationship with God. If, if you miss out on that, you've missed out on everything he gave his life for. So as you leave this place today, I want to encourage you to just go and talk to God this afternoon. Whether it's driving the car, you don't have to close your eyes and be really spiritual in and, 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 and your thoughts. He said, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. You can just say, hey, God, that's a prayer. Today's this morning I woke up, looked in the mirror like, oh, this is going to be a long day. And then I realized, you know what? Today's the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad in it. And I was like, sweet. Yes, it is. And, and begin to worship God. You know, worship for me started at the shower. You know, it's like that same kind of thought can happen for you. 
Sorry, too much information. I see that on your faces. All right. I want to encourage you this morning with that thought to just take advantage of relationship, the chance to have it. There's uh, so many good things in the fine print. I want to encourage you with the thought to go and check out the fine print uh, of what God wants for your life. Because when you, you know, there's so much truth in here, but until you know the truth, it doesn't set you free. It's, all, it's no good if I know it. It's only good if you know it. I want to encourage you to, that to, to study the fine print, know the truth. The truth will make you free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. Uh, God, I thank you that by your spirit, you said you would guide us into all truth. And I pray that over every person here this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you. Thank you so much for freedom that you gave us in Christ. Thank you for this relationship that we can have, that you call us sons, call us daughters, and that we can call you dad. Father, I pray for those who've had a terrible relationship with their own fathers here on earth, that they would not tie those two things together, but that they would see that you are a dad who's greater. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the, the healing and, and um, things you begin brokenness that you've been fixing even now through this time together. I pray that that continues. Uh, Lord, and I pray that as people um, leave this place, knowing that they're your kids, that they would be a light that shines bright to the, to the world around them, to the people around them who you love so much. God, I thank you for it right now. I just uh, pray these things in your awesome, wonderful, and amazing name. Amen.